This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Be in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these things, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. So I have said before uh, something like this, if you wanna make God laugh, tell him your plans. Um, And I don't know, that might be a little um, hyperbolic. I don't think God laughs at our plans. I think God's a loving God. But I can say this, rarely have things gone the way that I planned them to go or the way that I thought they should go. Oftentimes God will work differently than what I think. 
when we planted this church, we've always had the goal of impacting our community for Jesus. We've always had the goal of making many disciples. That's a good thing, right? I mean, the whole number of things with pastors is always tricky. We can't let our significance rise and fall on numbers. And yet we do wanna make many disciples. I mean, I love what we do here. I love our mission. I love making disciples. I love preaching the word of God. I want people under the preaching. I want them under discipleships. We want a lot of impact, but you know, it, it, it didn't go the way I thought it would. I thought we would plant the church and then, you know, in two years be a thousand people and that's how it would go. But God didn't work that way. In fact, we were at that one number, that same number for a long time and we didn't rise above the number until after a worldwide pandemic. It was a pandemic that forced us to really uh, do live streaming. And for whatever reason, live streaming was a catalyst to growth for us. And so we grew more than double but it took a worldwide pandemic for that to happen. That's not the way I would have planned it to go. <laughs> and yet that's what God did. And haven't you found that true in your life, that God will do things very differently than what you have planned them? It's what Abram is experiencing in this text in several different ways. But you ever stop and ask why God does it that way? I'm not a bodybuilder. I know that was shocking to some of you, but I'm not. Wasn't that funny, Wayne? <laughs> um, but to become a bodybuilder, there's only one way to be a bodybuilder. But, but it's really hard to find like a, a pick of a bodybuilder that's not like racy. And so we found an old guy with a t-shirt on. So that's what we did. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, only one pathway to get big muscles. And that is you gotta lift a lot of weight. You have to break that muscle tissue down and then build it up again with protein and break it down again and build it up again. And in all of that, the muscle gets built. Now, the good news for me is I don't wanna become a bodybuilder, but I, I, I do wanna be a man of deep faith, of strong faith. And there's only one way there. Your faith has to get broken down. And then God rebuilds it and then breaks it down again and then rebuilds it. And over time, you will grow. The key big idea of the day is this, for my faith to be strengthened, it must be stretched. For my faith to be strengthened, it must be stretched. Abram is finding that very thing. And what we have in this text is a very, very important verse theologically and really for the rest of the book of Genesis, for the rest of the Bible. Paul goes back to this verse. James goes back to this verse. This verse becomes a really key text in the Bible, and that is 15, verse number six. So take a look at verse number six of our chapter here where we see this in Abram. And he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. What's really important is the promises have not yet been fulfilled. Abram, all he has is God's word to believe. And yet he believes to the degree that God sees his faith and says, that's righteousness. And he accounts it as righteousness, his faith that saved him. How did Abram get such strong faith? What I want to look at today in this text, from this text, let's look at three tests of our faith. The only way there to deep faith is through 
testing, and God's not done testing Abraham. So we're gonna look at three tests for our faith. And I want you to write this one down first. When I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. When I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Now, I'm getting that mostly from verse number one. And this one's easy to miss in the text, but I don't want you to miss it. It's really important to see. Verse number 15, uh, chapter 15, verse number one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Abram, sorry, in a vision. And he said what? Come on, church. He said what? Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So here's God saying to Abraham, what again? Fear not. Why is he saying that? Well, first of all, notice after these things, after what things? Well, I'll look back to chapter 14 that Adam preached last week. There are these four kings that come down and they take over Sodom and Gomorrah. They capture Lot. And then Abram takes how many dudes again? 318 guys. And he goes, and by the way, I, I would, when I read that for a long time, I was like, man, those guys must be awesome. And I don't know if that's the response we should have to that. I think our God is awesome for using just 318 guys to really destroy four armies. But he did go against four armies. And back in this day, in our day even, people were like, oh man, he beat us. I guess that's it. No, often they would come back and they would retaliate, especially considering the great loss that they experienced. And so now here's Abram, and he's like, I just took care of these four kings and their four armies. What if over the years they build their armies back up and they come back again? I don't know. The text doesn't say exactly what was on his mind. We can imagine because of those hints after these things. But we know this. He must have been afraid. Because God says to him, what again? Fear not. Fear not. And I'm telling you, if you want your faith tested, then experience some anxiety and some fear. When things are operating around you that you can't really quite see what God is doing and he's challenging you in the depth of your heart, it's a fearful thing. And the truth is I'm preaching to people in 2024. Is it really 2024? I thought by now I'd have flying cars. Do you know that anxiety is worse than it's ever been? <laughs> Especially for Gen Zers. By the way, Gen Zers are those who were born somewhere mid 90s, early 2010s. And uh, it, it has a higher, this generation compared to other generations has more uh, anxiety than any other. And uh, there are feelings of, of social pressures, economic instability, uh, the use of social media has impacted it, academic stress, all kinds of stuff uh, have, have come into that. In fact, there's been research that says that as Gen Z, Gen Zers uh, frequently report feelings of anxiety, stress, pressure. And I just wonder for you, how often are you feeling that anxiety? I've been honest from the pulpit and often have said that this kind of tends to be a struggle for me from time to time. And here we have God telling anxious Abram, fear not. Do you know this is far from the only time these words are found together in the Bible? <laughs> 
Do you know this is the, actually, this is the most common command in all of Scripture. God repeats it over and over. Some version of this, fear not, do not be afraid. Over and over again, more than 365 times in the Bible. Let me just give you 10 of those times. Here's Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. To Joshua, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. By the way, that verse helped launch this church. Because I was in a state of utter fear and anxiety. I know I've told the story before, but we have so many new folks come in. Let me just tell you again. When I took the position of being a church planter, I had to provide insurance for my family. My church provided that. The church planting organization didn't. And so we had to find some way of getting insurance for my family. And so we prayed about that. I had a guy who heard from my from my youth group growing up, had heard that I was going to be a church planter and that I needed this. Somehow he heard. He called me and said, hey, we're going to take care of that for you. And I was like, sweet. It's taken care of. So I went to my church. I resigned my position. I accepted the position as church planter. I was going along. The very week I did that, he called me and said, dude, I'm sorry to tell you this. I lost my job. And we can't provide that insurance for you anymore. And I froze with anxiety. Courtney will remember I was up in our bedroom. This is back in Elkhart, literally on my rocking recliner with an Afghan around my legs thinking, what have I done? But that night, someone had invited us over to dinner, a person from the church. We went over, and during the dinner, he said, Pastor, we love you. Here's a check to help provide for your family. And it was more than what we needed to cover the insurance. And God just met it. But in that moment of rocking on my recliner, I went downstairs, and Courtney and Madeline were sitting on the couch, and she was reading this verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's like exactly what I needed to hear. There's more. There's just so much more, church. Just keep going. I'm gonna go through these quickly, so just buckle up. Uh, 23 verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's Isaiah 43 verse one. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Come on, church, say those words with me if you would. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. Here's Matthew 10, 31. Say them again. Fear not, therefore, are you of more value, are you of more value than many sparrows? Here's Luke 12, 32. Come on, say it with me. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Come on, Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And a key verse in all of this, I'll come back to it in a second, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. God says it over and over and over again. So why do we fear? We fear because we lack faith. Can I say that again? We fear because we lack faith. Everyone say that with me. Come on. We fear because we lack faith. So then what's the answer to our fear? More faith. And how do we get more faith? It has to be stretched. For my faith to be strengthened, it must be stretched. And we do fear God's, what are you afraid, that God's not going to take care of us? That God doesn't have this? 1 Peter 4, 18 again, look at this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I want you to read that with me that far. Just read it with me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It does. And can I look you in the eyes this morning and tell you your God loves you? Oh, Gen Z are struggling with anxiety looking at your phone and wondering if you measure up. Can I tell you, your God loves you. He's got this. Man, I look back. So how did everything turn out, Afghan boy? Well, let me tell you how it turned out. Um, (laughs) Man, I look around my home and I'm like, could God have provided something better for us? I look at my beautiful wife and I say, I love her more today than ever. I look at my kids and they're all right. I love them to death. I love all of them dearly. I look at my staff that I have surrounding me these 12 years later, and I think, do you ever have my back, God? I hired Adam before I even barely knew him, and it's the best decision I made in church planting. That guy is incredible. He's an amazing pastor and a good friend. We hired Scott. That guy is so talented. Man, he can go anywhere and find a job doing what he's doing here, but he gives his time and his creativity to us. We hired Linnea. We didn't know what a rock star we had then, but man, she, she keeps my calendar schedule. When she's on vacation, I don't know what to do. I'm sitting around my office like, I know I used to function before she came, but now what do I do? And then we hired Ben, and it's been three weeks, and already he's like taken all that we were and elevated it to another level of loving each other, caring for each other, just being a, a great pastor with a good mind. And like God had it the whole time. And listen, every moment spent in anxiety was a wasted moment. And we need help. So let me ask you a few questions here. When are you most tempted to fear? This is a question when you think about, are there themes to your anxiety? And what I mean by that, as you look back over, I can see financial things as just a, just a theme for me. Like when it comes to finances, I tend to struggle with doubt. And that's something that's a theme. And maybe for you, it's relationships. Maybe for you, it's, you know, God's forgiveness. I don't know, whatever it is, are there themes to your anxiety? It helps because it, it, it's, it, it helps you see the root. And so then when you see the root, ask yourself, how does inserting God's love at the root of your issue help you. God loves me, he will provide. God loves me, he'll take care of me. God loves me. And it's amazing what will fall when that happens. And maybe if you struggle with anxiety, can I commend to you this very simple verse? Psalm 56, verse three. When I am afraid, 
I put my trust in you. Let's say it together. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, which is our first point. When I'm afraid, I will trust the Lord. But that was just one verse. We got a whole bunch of verses to go. By the way, uh, we are gonna do this sermon in two parts, just so you're aware of that. I'm gonna kind of cover the story of it today. And then I need to tell you, uh, in two weeks, I'm actually will be in Arizona next week visiting my brother. But in two weeks, when I come back, I'm gonna dive into the covenant. Uh, the covenant, just, it, it needs some time. And so we're gonna take the time, dive into it, explain it, get a little Bible study going on with the covenant. But for today, we're just covering the highlights of the story. So next to this, when I'm waiting, I will trust the Lord. When I'm waiting, I will trust the Lord. Because that's where we find Abram next. And I want you to look at verse number two. And this is really one of the things that jumps out most in the text. So uh, God comes and says, hey, dude, I'm your shield. Love that. I'm your reward or your reward would be very great, depending on how you translate it. Different translators will either say, I am your very great reward, or your reward shall be great. Probably the best translation is the one we have here. But verse number two, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That moron? That's not in the text, but it's kind of fun to say that. Uh, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. God had promised way back in Genesis 12 that he would have a lot of kids, that he would have an uh, inheritance of nations, that he would look up at the stars. He's going to do it here in a minute again, right? Look up at the stars, and if you can count them, that's how many your descendants will be. And right now, they have nobody. There's no child and Time's a ticking. They're getting older and older and older. Probably, we don't know exactly because the text doesn't reveal it, but when you kind of consider the story, chances are about 10 to 15 years have passed since he initially gave the promise. 10 to 15 years of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And here, Abram's getting antsy. And so he does what he tends to do. And that is this, I gotta figure this out. If God's not gonna show up, I gotta get my head around this and I gotta figure out how to make this work. I know, hey, there's this thing called the, the Newsy Law, N-U-Z-I at the time, Newsy Law. And the Newsy Law said that you could uh, adopt a servant to be your heir and to take on your family name. So Abram's like, I know, this is my plan. If God doesn't show up, I'm just gonna make Eliezer my, my heir. Eliezer, that guy's an idiot. But I'm gonna make him my heir. It's the only option I have. And this is what Abram does, man. He doubts the Lord. He takes things into his own hands and then he utterly fails. He did that with Egypt. And by the way, he's just about to do it big time in the next chapter. But the good news for us in our text is that at this point, all of this is just temptation. And he's feeling this pressure. He's feeling this angst in his heart. And so what does he do with it? He takes it to the Lord. And he's open and real and honest with God. He doubts, but he takes his doubts to God. Do you think God's okay with that? Yeah, he is. He comes back, as you see in the text, 
and he gives affirmation here. And behold, verse number four, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son, your very own son, Abram shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars for able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And I love this, before the promise was fulfilled, he said, and he believed the Lord and he counted him as righteousness. Can God handle our doubts? Can God handle our honest coming to him and being real about how we feel? And I want you to know, absolutely, just read the Psalms and you'll see time after time, David coming and saying, God, where are you? I don't get it. And that's the very place to take your doubt. Don't fake it with God. He sees right through it anyway. And God is doing what God often does. He's making them wait. You probably heard a saying like this, God is never late, but he's seldom early. I've seen this so often in my life, you know, God tends to wait till midnight. Or as I said before, God squeezes every ounce of life change out of our trials, every ounce. I just think about my life and think about, there's so many stories to choose from where God said, wait. It took us a long time to conceive Landon and we waited and we waited and we prayed. When we decided to go plant a church, we had no idea we were, we were gonna go. And months and months and months went by of us just saying, God will go anywhere, God will go anywhere. And in his goodness, he said, Fort Wayne. As a church, we needed a building and we prayed 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 and, we prayed and God provided, look, God provided a building and we needed it again. And I know some people are like, do we though, do we though? Yeah, we really do. Um, when you look at the numbers and we'll look at some of this that we tend to hit a ceiling here, we go down a little bit, hit a ceiling here and I think our building is hindering that. I know it is and so we just gotta pray and ask the Lord to provide again. But have you found this true in your life that you're often waiting on the Lord? If you find yourself often waiting on the Lord, just lift your hand up and say, I've been there, I've had, okay, look at that, all the way around, testimony given, we've waited on the Lord. Now, okay, let me show you a verse that probably frustrates you then, okay? So here's probably a verse that if you're, if you're there often, this verse probably you know, gets you a little frustrated. It's Isaiah 40, verses 30 through 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and even young men shall fall exhausted. But read it with me now. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And you probably said, how does that work? How in the world does waiting on God give me strength? That seems so, so weird. And that's because we're taking our English understanding of the word wait and injecting it in the text when the Hebrew word here is much deeper and more complex than our word for waiting. In fact, here's one Hebrew lexicon explaining that word. The verb basically refers to hoping or waiting expectantly. This involves trusting that the thing awaited will take place. It is often waiting hopefully for God. It's not like waiting to see who wins the election. Who knows? I'm not super excited either way. Can I get to win this? 
It's not like waiting if the economy will turn around or not. Who knows? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It, it is being a kid waiting for Christmas. It's coming. It is spring is coming. Can I get a witness? It's an expectant wait, a hopeful wait. In fact, a better translation of Isaiah 40, uh, verse, 40 verse number 30 uh, is those who hope in the Lord. Now, I know those who carry the NIV will tell me that that's how they translated the word as hope and not as waiting. And probably people who are like that will send a text to me this week and saying, hey, my NIV had the word wait in it and that the word, I'm hoping and not wait. So I get that, I understand that. But let me just say, in this case, uh, hoping is a better word. So read that again. Let's go back to Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But those who, church, hope, those who Hope, those who what? Hope for the Lord will renew their strength. It is hoping, it is hoping. The very thing that Isaiah is teaching us is that for your hope to grow, it must be stretched. For your hope to grow, it has to be stretched. But as God stretches your hope and you see him showing up and showing up, you're gonna find strength. Are you waiting on the Lord? Let me ask you this way. Are you hoping in the Lord? What verses might help remind you that you can and can and should hope in God? Put those into your mind. Put those into your memory when the temptation or fear and anxiety and worry comes up, you can remind yourself, our God is worthy of my hope. I want you to say that with me. My God is worthy of my hope. One more time, my God is worthy of my hope. Now, he may not answer the thing like you want him to answer the thing, but his ways are better, and we just put our hope in the Lord. When I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. When I'm waiting, I will trust in the Lord. Now, how about this one? And this is, this is in the text, and it's really interesting. It's in the covenant. And so write this down. When I'm suffering, I will trust in the Lord. When I'm suffering, I will trust in the Lord. So yes, we're gonna unpack this more thoroughly next week, but I want you to see this in verse number 12. So in verse number seven, he comes and he reaffirms his promise and he, Abram asks for a sign. Keep that in mind. Abram says, I need a sign and so then God gives him a very specific sign in cutting these animals apart, laying them side by side. You think that's really weird. You never really see it again. Why did God do it that way? Wait two weeks and I'll explain it to you. There's a reason, it's pretty cool, but wait two weeks and we'll get there. But for today, look at verse number 12. This is interesting. During all of this revelation of the covenant and all of this ceremony that Abram was going through, God does this. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. You ever feel that? Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Hey, I got some news for you, Abram. 
yeah, I'm going to be faithful to my promise, but guess what? It's going to be through suffering. I'm going to do something awesome. And it's going to come through suffering. Talk about ways we would not write the story. Talk about how our plans would be different than God's. If I were to write Jamie's story, I don't think I'd put a little suffering in there. Lost my wallet again, but I found it 15 minutes later. (laughs) But we've walked through some suffering. We'll walk through some suffering. And what's incredible is that God is actually doing something amazing in the suffering. So here's, here's a cool mug that I would uh, commend to you, maybe, maybe not. This is Habakkuk 1.5. Isn't it funny the verses people put on coffee mugs? Because here's Habakkuk 1.5 on a coffee mug. And since it's hard to see in this picture, here's the actual verse. Let me show it on the screen here to you. Here's what the verse says. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, God says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if told. Doesn't that sound awesome? God's going to do a work that we wouldn't believe. Man, that promotion is coming, baby. I'm going to get a huge tax return. Those relationships that are like I'm really kind of fretting about right now, man, they're going to get healed and we're going to be okay. God's going to do a great and astounding work. But you know what the context of Habakkuk 1.5 is? Because what God promises next in Habakkuk 1.5 is I'm sending the Chaldeans down to take you captive. And you're going to suffer for a little bit. And that suffering was the great and astounding and wonderful work that God was going to do. And it's absolutely opposite. I felt like a Sylvester cat. <laughs> or actually, that was the uh, foghorn leghorn. Yeah. It's the opposite of the way we think for the Christian life, man. It, let's be honest this morning. We believe that if we walk according to God's way, life's going to go easy for us. We believe that if life is not going well for us, it means we somehow really messed up and God's punishing us. And preachers are at fault like we have preached it this way. We have told people, live right and life will be better. And in some ways that's true because God designed the world. And when we live it the way he said, it it functions better. My marriage is much better if I don't have an affair. (laughs) But it doesn't mean there's no suffering. In fact, look at the Bible over and over again. Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And then the very well-known James 1, 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Church, for my strength, for my faith to be strengthened, it must be stretched. And suffering in the Christian life is not abnormal. It doesn't mean you've blown it somehow. And I don't know why we all come to church pretending like we never suffer and we never go through trials. Because I think that if we do, we feel like we're somehow less spiritual than everybody else. And that's not true at all. Suffering in the Christian life is not only normal, it's not only expected, it's evidence that God is working in you. In fact, consider this, Hebrews 5.8 talking about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience, church, what? Through what he suffered. Let that blow your mind. Jesus, humanly speaking, had to be stretched and stretched to learn obedience through his suffering. Now, look back at your list. Look back at the points of the sermon. When I'm afraid, when I'm waiting, when I'm suffering. Who's signing up for that class? Is it worth it? Is a life of faith, a deeper life of faith, actually worth all of that trouble? And I'm gonna to say to you, absolutely, church. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Look at this. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. For by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So what, was, uh, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse number four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though he was commended as righteous, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, come on, church, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. He rewards those who seek him. Listen, godly people live by faith and you need deeper faith. Let me give you six reasons really quick. Number one, you need deeper faith for your salvation. Now you're saved through faith. That is a settled deal, but it takes a deep faith to believe. And so it starts, it starts with faith and salvation, but you need faith for your relationship with God. If you wanna get close to your husband, trust him, right? Relationships are built on trust. And if you don't trust the Lord, you're never gonna be close to him. You need a deep faith for your relationship with God. You need a deep faith for guidance and direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say that we need to not trust our own understanding, but lean on God's understanding and trust him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You gotta trust the Lord as he guides and directs. You need strength in trials. 
You've got to believe that God is doing something in you through trials that you can't see yourself, and you need faith for that trials. You need faith for transformation. God changes you the more and deeper you believe in him. And church, you're called to a mission. You have a purpose, and that is to live for his glory and to spread his gospel. And if you're gonna be a sharer of the gospel, you have to trust and believe that God is who he says he is. And maybe we're not on mission as much as we should be because our faith hasn't gone deeper. Faith is vital, church. And your life will be more hope-filled and stronger the stronger your faith becomes. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna be able to pray for you because I don't know what you're walking through right now and maybe you're walking through a time of suffering and I just wanna pray for you this morning. Or maybe you're walking through a time of just waiting on the Lord. I'm raising my hand for that one. Maybe you're walking through a time of anxiety. Every Monday I have a low-grade anxiety I have to deal with so I'll raise my hand. If you're just in a position where you need some prayer right now, would you just lift up your hand? All over the church. Look at that, all over. All right. What I'm going to do right now is just pray over you. I want you to know, come on, put your hand up again, would you? I want you to know that God sees that. God knows that. So let's take our anxiety and our doubt. Let's take it to the Lord together in prayer right now. God, we love you. And we're so thankful for stories like the one we read today where the things that we deal with today in 2024, the things that your people have dealt with all along and you are faithful to them and you will be faithful to us. And there are people who raise their hand because they're afraid and they want a deeper faith. And Lord, as you allow them to walk through fearful times, you will show up. You will be their shield. You will be their God, and they can trust you. God, strengthen our faith. God, there are people who are waiting. They are praying and praying, and they've been praying maybe for years, and they're waiting on you. And life's not going the way they would plan it, and things are different, they're still waiting. And God, I wanna pray for them. You will show up. You got whatever this thing is and your ways of handling it, whatever's gonna happen by your sovereignty is gonna be incredible and amazing when it happens. In the meantime, Father, let us put our hope in you. Would you strengthen our hope? And God, I pray for those who are suffering right now. God, I pray for them. Some people have to look forward to a life of suffering because of the things that they're dealing with. And I want you to assure them that this is not punishment. If they know you as Savior, Jesus took their punishment. God, I want you to assure them that you love them. And you're there in the suffering, and you're going to work in them an eternal weight of glory through what they suffer. All these things right now are faith, Father, but deepen our faith. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Make your redemption, you are loved.